Hello and welcome to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the program, you could always send me a message on any of my contact links in the description of the show. And if you wouldn't mind uh, rating it on some sort of platform app thing, uh, I sure would appreciate that as well. Uh, This past spring, I was at the Denver Auto Show, and one part of the show that really stood out to me was all the aftermarket stuff that were outfitting the cars and trucks there, especially the big trucks. There were uh, tents on them, like on top of them. Uh, with ladders that go all the way up, like, uh, I mean, full on camping gear. They had uh, dirt bikes that were on trailers and they had lift kits and they had all kinds of gadgets that you could get inside and outside your car. It, it's pretty big business now. And I, and I wanted to talk more about this aftermarket market and who better to speak all about how big the business is now and what's next with uh, the market, especially as it relates to uh, electric vehicles, because EVs are are presenting its own special segment of uh, the aftermarket market. So anyway, uh, joining me now is the president of the Specialty Equipment Marketing Association, Mike Spagnola. Mike, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving Your Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me. What an exciting time to be here. All right, Mike. So we'll get into the aftermarket stuff in just a minute. But I have to know, since since you're surrounded by and you've been in the automotive industry for some time, did you grow up as a car guy? Did you have a favorite car when you were a kid? Uh, I did. I, uh, I I can remember from the time I was about six years old, just loving cars. It was just in me, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I grew up at a time when some of our soldiers were coming back from Vietnam and they had a few bucks in their pocket. And so they were showing up on my street with uh, 63 Corvettes and 65 Mustangs and and all of that. And I just, I could remember hearing the rumble from a few blocks away and running out onto the curb to watch these guys drive by. And, uh, you know, I started with model cars and then bicycles and then motorcycles and then cars. And uh, I've been in it since uh, since my high school years. So I'm sure you played with the Hot Wheels and all the... <laughs> all that stuff. I, I, Absolutely. I think I probably tore more things apart than I was able to put back together, but that's a story for another day. Did, did you have a favorite car growing up? You know, I, I, uh, I fell in love with Datsuns um, and, and uh, right out of, so I love the 510s and 240Zs and Datsun Roasters. And right out of high school, um, I went to work for a Datsun dealership and I raced Datsuns and uh, collected them. And uh, unfortunately today I'm still a caraholic and I have several uh, Datsuns and Nissans and, uh, uh, I haven't forgotten those roots. You so. know what? Actually, I, I boycott Nissan for my entire life because they bought Datsun, and I loved Datsun when I was growing up too. Uh, and so okay. I just, I, I've been holding that grudge forever, and it, it's totally <laughs> ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. But I, but I still holding the Nissan <laughs> buying Datsun grudge. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I just bought the I just bought the new Z, oh, the nice. new uh, the brand new Z, and it's nice. just a blast to drive. <laughs> what kind yeah. of car do you drive now? Are you still a car yeah. guy now? Oh, absolutely. I, I, uh, I have several cars and people always ask me what my favorite is, but it's like saying what's your favorite child. Yeah. And so I stay away from that argument. But um, yeah, I, my daily driver is this new Nissan Z, although I, you know, I have a truck and I have an, an Aston Martin and a few other cars that I like to drive around. Um, I did notice that almost every one of my cars now is a two seater. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to probably get another <laughs> sedan somewhere along the, along the line. But um, so love to play with cars. Not that I have a lot of time. Uh, this job keeps me pretty busy, but uh, when I have time, I'd like to work in the garage and 
still get my hands dirty and uh, I'm blessed that my kids are caraholics as well. So we do a lot of uh, kind of weekend racing and all sorts of things. So, so you are familiar with getting some of these aftermarket products and, and putting them in, in your own car, especially if you're doing racing, you're going to have to make those modifications. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, one of the, there's a lot of great things about SEMA, but one of the things we do is we build a charity car every year. And so I try to get involved with that and uh, try to roll up my sleeves a little bit at night and help with that. But the team builds a charity car that we take to SEMA and then we auction for charity. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, I still still like to get my hands dirty a little bit and, and work at the garage uh, when time allows. My guest is Mike Spagnola. He's the president of Specialty Equipment Market Association. We're talking about aftermarket parts in the business. Uh, you can find them at SEMA, S-E-M-A dot org. Uh, I, I don't think people realize how large the aftermarket industry is. It, it can be just lift kits where people will see somebody lifted their, their truck as they're driving around, but uh, or those tents that I talked about. But it can also be you know as simple as specialized brakes or wheels or, or things like that. Yeah, it's all of that. And so the Specialty Equipment Market Association, we just did our economic survey, and we're a $337 billion a year industry. Uh, that's what we contribute. Uh, over 1.3 million U.S. jobs. Um, we're bigger than the U.S. aircraft industry. We're bigger than the entire motion uh, production industry. Uh, we're bigger than uh, the beverage industry, the candy industry, the wine industry, and we're almost as big as the beer industry. But I think that's because our guys like to drink beer, yeah, so like, <laughs> uh, we, we probably we probably contribute to that growth. What are some of the most popular products now? Is it just the uh, equipment that makes your car go either faster or stop faster, or some of those things that you can put on your car? Yeah, so it's all of that. I mean, you know, it's even if you think about even utility or or con contractors who might need, you know, different racks and systems and all that. So, but it is all those aftermarket parts. It's not replacement parts. It does it, tend are, to be are the there some stuff that's more popular than others? Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, what we're really seeing now is uh, this growth in the overland industry, the, the whole camping scene, you know, tents on top of the cars, um, the things that you need to go off-roading, uh, camping, larger tires and wheels, suspension components. That's really burgeoned in the last couple of years. And uh, so that's exciting. But, you know, all of those suspension parts, bigger brakes, bigger tires and wheels. Um, you know, we know that uh, when new cars get purchased, uh, about 70% uh, of those accessories go on in the first year. So, uh, you know, you take a new Jeep or you take the new Bronco or any of that sort of stuff, those buyers are buying those vehicles and putting a lot of accessories on within that first year of purchase. And they probably buy those vehicles knowing that they're going to be doing that in that first year because they want to outfit their car and make it personalized. That's the thing about vehicles. As, as it, Each vehicle is almost... Uh, a representation of a person. You buy a car that you think represents you and you want to outfit it like you. Exactly. And that's why, you know, we have a pretty good relationship with the OEs because they know that, uh, that people want to uh, be able to customize their vehicles and they want to individualize. So, you know, for example, when the new Bronco was coming out, we worked closely with Ford to develop all those aftermarket accessories because they recognize that that's going to help them sell more vehicles when they work with the aftermarket and they know that those cars are going to get customized, personalized, people still want to be able to modify and personalize their own vehicles. Most of the parts in the aftermarket space, they are, they are really not created by Ford or 
uh, Chrysler or, or the, the big automakers. They're really created by small businesses, by somebody who just has an idea who wants to maybe outfit their vehicle and thought, well, maybe some other people want to do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, these are all enthusiasts. I was I came from that industry. I was a manufacturer myself for many years before joining SEMA on staff. But um, those are all people that want to make little widgets. Um, you know, at the SEMA show this year, we'll have about twenty two hundred manufacturers and small widget makers to large guys that just had these ideas of building parts and accessories uh, to make the car cooler, different, unique, um, better. You know, anytime an OE builds a, a vehicle, there's some compromises they have to make. They they might want softer suspension, yet some people want something a little more rugged than that. And so um, we find those niches between those compromises that the OE has to make, whether it's for uh, performance or whether it's for, for sound or whether it's for suspension or, um, you know, they've got a, the OE has to meet a certain price criteria, but there are people that are willing to upgrade brakes and upgrade tires and wheels and upgrade suspension components. And so our SEMA manufacturers develop those products. There's over 3,000 SEMA manufacturers uh, within SEMA and about over 4,000 retailers. And you can find SEMA at SEMA.org. It's the Specialty Equipment Market Association. And my guest is Mike Spagnola, the president of the organization. What took me back at the Denver Auto Show, and I mentioned that briefly, was all the trucks that were outfitted with the camping stuff, the tents on the roof, the racks that are on the side of the trucks with the water tanks and gas tanks, uh, these hookups for generators and these trailers that you can tow around. That, that It's different. It, it really... We're, we're, we're almost ready to tackle the zombie apocalypse with all of this stuff, right? <laughs> I think they, some may be planning for that. But it is a unique and changing world, right? It used to be that you took your 40-foot motorhome out yeah. to go camping or, or whatever. And especially the younger generation now is, you know, whether it's for budget or whether it's for, you know, economy or whether it's for, um, you know, even, even environmental pur purposes. They want to get out in the wilderness and they're willing to take, uh, I mean, you're seeing Subarus and you know, different smaller cars now that are outfitted with tents and various equipment. Um, you know, again, it used to be that big truck that you had to have and a big trailer and all that, but people are finding unique new ways to go camping. Uh, and again, with tents on the roof and all those sorts of parts and accessories, generators and coolers and different ways of being able to camp out in the wilderness um, and being able to get away for a weekend and just hang out with nature. And what kind of money are we talking about here? Are we are we talking about big money with these setups, thousands and thousands of dollars? It it, it's, it might be. Is it is it worth it to to outfit your your vehicle with all that money, or or just buy a standalone RV? Yeah, you know it, it's you know so a lot of these guys are using their um, their cars for everyday driving. You know, so you'll see these cars driving down the road, and men and women are using them for everyday transportation, but still can take off on the weekends. So uh, rather than having to have a few vehicles, uh, they're able to do it with one. You know, you can spend $2,000, $3,000 on a tent and all that rigging. You know, the, the average might be six or $7,000, which is pretty inexpensive compared to having to buy a trailer or a motorhome or, you know, those sorts of uh, other opportunities. And, and, you know, it's interesting that people are still doing this because on even on a smaller scale, people are still wanting to make even small modifications. I mean, it, really, aftermarket industry includes things like the floor mats, having new floor mats and, and things right. like that, as simple as that is. Uh, w but we all know the economy isn't doing all that great and inflation is is taking away a lot of our disposable income right now. But it seems that for some it is still worth it for them to make these modifications and spend that disposable income on their vehicle. 
You know, it's it's amazing. Uh, we actually grew during the pandemic because oh. I think people were working on their vehicles, staying home and working on their vehicles. But, you know, our last year was fifty three billion dollars in, in aftermarket sales. So it's um, and again, three hundred thirty seven billion to the total economy. So it's uh, people still want to modify vehicles and still want to get out, still want to personalize. Um, and it just brings them joy. How is the aftermarket industry adapting to electric vehicles? Because it seems like most of the industry products are, uh, at least were created initially for ICE vehicles, as, as you would think that's yeah. natural. But how, how are the electric vehicles coming into this space now? Yeah, for, so for sure, you can still take an electric vehicle and modify it. I mean, if you take the new Ford Lightning, it's still a truck. So there's all those different products available to you. Yes, you can't do so much in the engine mod area, but you can still put different tires and brakes and all the bed accessories and all those sorts of things. The, one of the really fun burgeoning markets now for us is the uh, the ability to adopt an ICE engine to an EV. Oh. And so we'll have over 50 manufacturers at the show this year that are building electric motors and components and harnesses and battery packs and all those sorts of things. So you can take a 69 Camaro and convert it to an EV. So we see that market growing for sure as more and more young hot rodders go EV. Um, but, you know, we were also looking a lot at just the, the choices and um, and and uh, in just technology. So this year we are doing a technology uh, center. We're calling it SEMA Future Tech Studio at the SEMA show where we're looking at hybrid, uh, hydrogen, alternative fuels and other advancements uh, because we think it's not going to be just an EV market. Um, we think that there are going to be other alternatives and other uh, opportunities that are cleaner and better. Um, and that, um, you know, I, I personally, and I think we think here at SEMA that the, the EV trend, uh, it's not, you know, there's here in California, it's 2026 has to be 30% of the vehicles and by 2032, all EVs. That's a pretty ambitious goal. And I think it's going to take longer than that. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. The the type of propulsion, though, matters, right? Especially when it comes to the aftermarket parts, because uh, it, it, whether it's electric or hydrogen or, or just gas, because there's no reason to have a have an exhaust modification for a Tesla. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'll tell you that, you know, there's there's uh, semen manufacturers now that are making chips to make EV sound like a Ferrari. Oh, OK. You know, so so we're finding so we're finding ways to do that. Um but, you know, if you think about going back to the ICE engine, an ICE engine is not bad. It's what you put in it. It's yeah. the fuel that you put in it, right? So the technology of an ICE engine isn't bad. And uh, we actually have studies now that show that if we adopt all these technologies, if we adopt hydrogen, if we drop propane, if we drop the uh, adopt the alternative fuels, um, you know, biofuels, all that, we actually get to a cleaner environment quicker than if we wait for the EV programs to take off. It's interesting that you were talking about converting older vehicles, you know, like the 1960 Mustang into an EV, because I would think for collectors, especially, or, or for purists, they say, I mean, the, the sound of some of those vehicles, <laughs> it's just what it's, it's not the same if it, if you transform it into an EV and, and, and you lose, don't you lose that historic value of the vehicle? Yeah, you do. Some think that uh, uh, sacrilegious to do things like that. But, you know, uh, also, you know, when when I was growing up, what we did, my parents didn't agree with, you know, it was it was we were hot rodding vehicles that shouldn't have been hot rodded. So I think the next generation is going to just do the same thing. Uh, a lot of younger uh, 
men and women are interested in the EV market. It's a new technology. It certainly has uh, its benefits and um, instant torque and speed and all those sorts of things. And it's just their way of doing it different than we did it. Uh, my some modifications and add-ons. I, I I've owned a Chevy Volt for the last uh, 10, 12 years, uh, and so I, I'm familiar with with electric cars. Even though it does have the generator in it, so I can keep going yeah. on on gasoline. But some modifications or add-ons could really affect the uh, uh, the range of these vehicles. Like, like you mentioned, the Lightning. If I take one of the Lightnings and I put all of those uh, gas tanks and a tent on the top of it, I'm going to weigh this thing down. And I, I'm going to lose a lot more range uh, it, it, than I would if I was driving a regular F-150. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you have to obviously, again, EV technology is going to get better and better. But, for example, there are solar panels now that are available for some of these EVs for trucks and um, that, that you can use as you go off-roading that generate power. So, um, you know, the, the you, you can't underestimate SEMA manufacturers and their ingenuity and what what can happen? You know, um, I read this article about the fact, does the aftermarket have five more years? And it talked about government intervention. It talked about technology and technology increasing and manufacturers aren't going to be able to keep up with it. It talked about the inner generation not wanting to customize cars and they're not interested in cars and all that. The article was from 1975. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we continue to be concerned about these things, but uh innovation takes place and cool things happen. And, you know, this year at our SEMA show, we'll have over 2,200 new products out. And it's just un unbelievable that there can be that many new products that come out. My guest is Mike Spagnola. He's the president of Specialty Equipment Market Association. You can find them at SEMA, S-E-M-A, dot org, talking about some of the aftermarket products and uh, the business. What what are some of those more popular changes that the EV owners are looking for, because it seems like most of the ones that I've seen, the, the Tesla owners or other EV owners, are just looking to upgrade their license plate or maybe their their wheels. Uh, but really, not a lot of other big accessories are going onto their car. You're not you're not seeing a rear spoiler on the back of some of these cars. Actually, you are. It's amazing. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So it, I think there's two groups. So within, let's just take the Tesla range. There are. Um, Consumers that want to just see what else they can do to even get better mileage or better um, charging or, you know, um, improve the uh, the economy of the vehicle now. But then there are others that don't care if you put a front spoiler and a rear spoiler on it and it um, changes the mileage out of the vehicle and maybe makes perform with less mileage, but it looks cool. Or they want to lower them. I mean, there's a lot of suspension lowering going on for Teslas now and huge in the tire and wheel side. Um, that's, that's very, very popular. You know, there's wide body kits now for them where you can, you can change the fenders out and make the car wider so that you can put a bigger tire on wheel on it to go, to do, uh, uh, to, to go off-roading or, or to do, um, racing on the tracks or to go, you know, canyon carving, they call it, where uh, you want to just run up through the canyons and have a little better handling. You, you know, I was reading about your SEMA garage where these aftermarket companies can come in they can inspect a specific vehicle that was sent to you by the manufacturer, and then they can look at it. They can almost tear it down. They can look and see how they can modify uh, that car and then create their own modification, their parts, while the car is sitting there. And that has to be a huge help to them instead of them buying each individual one of these cars that they could never afford. They can come to your place and, and do that all in one spot. 
Yeah, we now have two SEMA garages, one here in Diamond Bar, California, and one in Plymouth, Michigan, and they are uh, technology centers. So we help the manufacturers from uh, everything to develop those vehicles. Um, you're right, we'll bring the vehicle in. Uh, two weeks ago, we had the 24 Mustang here. We've got the new Tacoma coming, but we literally, the always let us bring these cars in. We do tear them apart. Uh, we can scan uh, those vehicles now. Technology has come a ways now where you can scan a part. I can scan a suspension piece or a, you name it, a fender or anything and and create a CAD data from that scan uh, that's exact. That's when what uh, one one hundredth of an inch, I mean, a hair on your head, that's all one one thousandth of an inch. That's all uh, close we can get the thing. So we get the CAD data. We provide that to the manufacturer. They can do their modifications. They can send us the file back. We can 3D print it for them. We can install that 3D printed part on the car. In some cases, we can even run the car with that 3D printed part on it and make sure that all that technology and all the geometry and all those things work prior to them going in production. So we can literally take uh, you know, a production cycle that maybe took six, eight, nine, ten months down to three or four months. And, and, and uh, it makes so it makes it a lot faster and a lot less complicated as well. Yeah, and very high technology. I mean, the the quality of the product has come way up because of the new uh, ability to do these sorts of things with CAD data. We have tens of thousands of files. And in fact, in, in places like Ford and GM, they give us all their CAD data. They give us their original CAD data that they use to build those products. We have those files here. We can share them with our members and we can help, help them through that development cycle. And then in addition to that, if it is an ICE engine, uh, actually, even if it's an EV engine, we have emissions testing here. So Believe it or not, even an EV has to go through a test to make sure that um, it charges properly, that it's got range and all those sorts of products. But let's just say you wanted to build a supercharger for that 24 Mustang. Uh, we can help you with the CAD data to develop that supercharger. You can develop that supercharger. You can then install it here in the garage. We have an emissions test cycle that's approved by CARB and EPA, and we can do that emissions testing for you and get you certified so that you can sell that part legally. I, I like sometimes watching videos from mechanics who are trying to get to a what seems like a simple part in a car, but yet it seems they have to take almost the whole car apart. And and I had the uh, uh, the exterior temperature sensor of my car; it fell it fell out of its little holder, and the whole front bumper has to come off to put that dumb little temperature sensor back in its little spot. I mean, that, <laughs> so, so no. that, that it's gotta be frustrating to some of these, uh, <laughs> aftermarket guys to, to know, Hey, why are the car guys building it this way to make it so frustrating for the guys who are fixing these cars? Yeah. Packaging has certainly gotten a lot more complicated, you know, as, as, uh, vehicles become much more aerodynamic and as, uh, they try to fit, more into a smaller package and then all the electronics now all the ados features right all the cameras and sensors and all those sorts of things and we're doing a bunch of work on that as well uh to make sure that when you modify a vehicle all those sensors and all those products work so um you know in our um in our uh, garage in detroit in plymouth michigan we have the first and only ados research center where um you know for example we just took a, a new chevy truck and we understood what all those cameras do um, when the when the vehicle is operating. And then what happens when you uh, put a leveling kit or what happens when you put three inch lift on it or what happens when you put larger tires or a six inch lift. So we're doing a lot of research and understanding to understand how do those sensors and cameras, does self-braking still work? Do all those things work? And we're doing that work uh, both statically. So 
in our lab in uh, Plymouth, Michigan, and then dynamically at a test track where you've probably seen where the vehicle runs down the road and a, a balloon of a person walks out in front of them and right. you see if the truck's going to stop. We do all that sort of research and work and then share that with our manufacturers so that they know how to modify and how to develop products um, that still meet the safety standards. Yeah, I talked to uh, Dan O'Dowd a couple, uh, maybe two months back. Uh, he's famous for the whole Tesla tests. He had that Super right. Bowl commercial, the whole thing, where he was showing how the Tesla autopilot is uh, running people over and killing people, and you should never run the Tesla autopilot and be in the car at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little scary, some of this new technology, and it's, uh, you know, there are no NHTSA standards yet on it. So uh, we're looking forward to that because I think once we see standards, we can build to those standards. So what does the aftermarket industry, you mentioned it, uh, back from looking at it from 1975, that it was only going to have five more years. So what is the uh, life of the aftermarket industry in five years, in 15, in 25 years? Are, 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 is there more, especially more and more EVs on the road? Yeah, again, I think, you know, every every OE has to build to a kind of a medium standard um, because they have to, A, they have to worry about cost and B, they have to kind of have that everyday consumer that just wants to drive a car in mind. And so um, there will continue to be people that they're going to want to modify that, you know, for example, they might give up ride quality a little bit so they can have a stiffer suspension so that they can handle better because they enjoy taking tighter corners or, you know, going uh, to a track or going, doing those sorts of things. So I think they'll continue to be those sort of products that are get developed ongoing. There's plenty of platforms and we know about the proliferation of vehicles and platforms and those sorts of things. So those will continue. And then there's always a look back. I mean, we are still selling lots of parts for 1950s, 60s, 70s cars. And so that'll continue to go on as people want to have a little bit of blast from the past. I mean, you know, you know, guys my age, you know, are now be able to buy those cars that they wanted when they were kids that they couldn't afford, and they're buying them now and they're modifying them. So, you know, that's going to continue, and um, you'll continue to see lots of different products, uh, you know, available. And, and again, I think that um, I think that we're going to see these other technologies come forward, these alternative fuels and these other technologies that come forward. Uh, because uh, it, I don't think it'll be just TV. I think it'll be plenty of different technologies that come forward that'll be part of the answer. Yeah, and with that 3D printing technology, you could probably fabricate, recreate any type of part that you might need, even back to a 1934 Packard. I mean, really, almost anything. Yeah, we're seeing that. We're seeing it a lot where, uh, you know, there's people that have these rare cars, and they might have the right headlight bezel, but they don't have the left one. Well, we can take that right headlight bezel, scan it, actually 3D reprint that part, and then reverse engineer the product so that we can hit the left-hand bezel and remake that part. And so you're starting to see a lot more um, components that are 3D printed. We were up at uh, Pebble Beach uh, this last August, and there are complete cars now coming out that are that are 3D printed in, in metals. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, Self-driving, though. Uh, as I as we wrap up here, Mike, uh, self driving cars might might make all this stuff obsolete, though. Yeah, I don't think so. I think again, people <laughs> are still going to want to personalize their vehicles. I think they're still going to want to go forward. What if they don't you know, own their own? What if they don't own the yeah, vehicle and it's all self driving yeah, taxis? Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that's going to be great for uh, big cities. I don't think it's going to work out in rural areas. And you know, we're still going to need trucks. We're still going to need trucks for farming. You know, um, you know, all those sorts of things where you're going to need to modify to fit what you need. 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, my guest, Mike Spagnola, President, Specialty Equipment Market Association. Thanks so much for joining me here and, and explaining all this. It's really a, a fascinating industry, and, and it looks like it's going to be, a, a, what, blue skies for years to come. I think so. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Happy to do it anytime. I didn't realize that it was such... I mean, I knew it was, it was pr- probably pretty big, but I didn't realize the business was, you know, bigger than the film industry. And, and I think most people think of major add-ons to a vehicle being part of the aftermarket market and stuff. But 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 like I mentioned to Mike, it, it can be as simple as th- those rubber floor mats that we have in our car uh, that keep it cleaner, especially when it's real wet. If you live in a snowy or wet climate, it's good to have those rubber floor mats. Um, or, you know, like even a cell phone holder that I have attached to my windshield. Uh, I use it all the time to, to get my driving you crazy television story video. Um, that technically is an aftermarket product. The one part of the aftermarket um, market uh, that I uh, will be glad not to hear as we see more and more electric cars are, are those exhaust modifications. Where they make the car sound like a trombone. Um, I, I, I would be glad because if you don't have exhaust, well, then you're not going to be needing to uh, enhance the exhaust. Or, or maybe you do get a, 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 a little micro or a speaker down there that uh, will make that sound for you. Um, and I might get some pushback on this one, but I really don't like the sound of, of loud Harley exhaust pipes. I know. I know they, they, the, the saying goes loud pipes save lives. I, I remember a couple of years back though, that there is a study that, that basically refuted that claim. The problem is that most of the noise from the motorcycle, uh, doesn't reach the ears of the drivers ahead of the motorcycle because either the car windows on that car up the road is up or the radio is on or they're on the phone or whatever. And, and the noise from the motorcycle is traveling backwards away from the driver that's up ahead that you want to warn them that you're coming. So uh, it's, it's, it does help maybe in some areas, but for the most part, it's, it's loud overkill. Um, and so I'm just, look, I'm just not a fan. I'm, (laughs) if you're a fan, great. Uh, I I'm just not a big fan of that uh, really loud, uh, especially there's a guy uh, lives across the street and he has a motorcycle, uh, a Harley, and he just revs the hell out of it when he's going down the road, our little street here to the main road. And it's just annoying. And we, we, we don't need to, nobody's coming at you in our neighborhood uh, to hit you on the motorcycle. It is, it, it, you really don't. It, anyway, that's, it, you know, send, send me a message if, if you disagree or, or you agree, whatever. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that was a pretty interesting uh, conversation with Mike. Uh, thanks again for being here. Thanks uh, for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.